Hi, my name is Jennifer Williams. I am the book lady, and I am happy to be here and excited to talk books. Today, we are getting a little jump on the holiday giving with an exceptional guest I can't wait for you to meet. Jennifer Williams is also known as the Book Lady in Danville, Virginia, and has made a profound difference in the lives of incarcerated women through her Second Chance Book Club. She started this initiative planning to meet inmates just once a month to talk about books, and it has blossomed into a weekly gathering thanks to generous book donations from the community and hopefully from people like you. This episode is important to me for three reasons. The first reason is that we are honoring Jennifer's work in the literary community by giving her space to tell her story. Her journey is so inspirational that I think you will walk away and want to start an incarcerated book club of your own or to find a new way to celebrate the love of reading with people in your town. The second reason is that we want to include you as part of her literary legacy of sharing books with these women through this special gift registry we've set up as a holiday giving opportunity. The third is that Jennifer has gained a very rare privilege to share this episode with the Second Chance Book Club themselves. So these women are actually tuning in to hear just how special they are and what this work has meant to her life. If you're new here, I'm your host, Amy Allen Clark from momadvice.com, and I'm the voice behind the Book Gang podcast. This podcast celebrates under-the-radar books, backlist book selections, and debut novelists. And we also love to get curious about bookish moments in our listeners' lives. I'm so grateful to be the facilitator of this conversation today. In this episode, we are going to delve into what it takes to run a successful book club for the incarcerated and its ripple effect on everyone's lives. We will also discuss the logistics of running a book club like this, the challenges Jennifer has faced with getting materials into the facility, and what it takes to keep up with such voracious readers. You may not know that this is actually the second time we have discussed the logistics of running a book club like this. In our Celebrity Book Club Deep Dive episode with TikTok creator Tell the Bees with three E's, we explored the incredible initiative of the No Name Book Club. Now, this Black-led cooperative connects community members, including those in carceral facilities, with radical books written by Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. So I encourage you to check out that episode. It is one of our most streamed on Booking. Moments like these are all made possible through our Patreon subscribers. I'm grateful to these incredible patrons who allow people like Jennifer to tell their stories simply by mentioning that we had planned this recorded interview and linking to some of Jennifer's past work. We already have fulfilled one book club meeting for this book club. These are genuinely some of the best people in the world. I'm so lucky for the ways they show up with financial support. Today, you will find a link to Jennifer's book registry in our show notes. And if you want to be part of this holiday magic this year, I encourage you to exercise your right to click add to cart and send these books over to Jennifer. This registry allows us to fulfill books for her work easily, it will 100% go directly to her and to her organization. As you have come to expect, the second half of our conversation will include some of the best books she's read with her book club that would also give you a chance to possibly lead a book club of your own. We have updated our best book club books to discuss 
book list that was created on a past episode with historical fiction writer Megan Church. It's such a solid book list that I did not want to reinvent the wheel, so I've incorporated Jennifer's selections as additions at the bottom of this list. And as I close out this intro, we just want to remind you, we would be so grateful if you told one friend about the show, gave us a like, or left a written review on iTunes. Remember that the more people who listen, particularly to this episode, the more opportunities for fulfillment on this gift registry. If you can't give, simply sharing it out to your circle is an incredible free way to support today's initiative. The biggest impact I believe that we all can have, no matter what is happening in this world, is to start at a community level. And what could be more rewarding than celebrating the love of reading with people in your very own town? Now let's get chatting. So I don't think we're going to have any shortage of material for today's show because Jennifer Williams is here from the Second Chance Book Club. This is something that I have been teasing at our Patreon about the work that you do. I even had a reader reach out and just say, I am nearing retirement and looking for things to do. And this story that you shared with me about Jennifer is super inspiring, and I'm so excited to hear more. So I think a lot of people are likely at a season where they are looking for new opportunities, new ways to reach out, ways to build community. And I want to talk about you, Jennifer, being the book lady in your town. I want to hear how you earned this title and more about your commitment to spreading the love of reading in your town. Great. Well, I'm excited to talk about it. I'll talk about it to anyone who will sit still for 30 seconds. I've taught school for 33 years. The majority of that is early childhood, you know, um, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, things like that, where you actually get to witness the magic of learning to read. And in 2016, what I ended up doing was, well, I, I started tutoring after school. Parents would reach out, other people would reach out, tutoring after school to any kids who needed it. You know, I would do reading, math, whatever they asked. In 2016, I devoted three days every week in the summer to um, public housing. And I just had a backpack. I had, every kid had a folder because I taught at the school those children went to. A lot of the parents would say, hey, can you help my kid too? And I would go from building to building. We'd get out the folder. Um, we'd add brothers and sisters. I had a little prize bag. As long as you tried really hard, you got to choose something, you know gum, M&Ms, Legos, stuff like that. And in doing that, I always carried little picture books for us to read. Even even older kids, um, when you help kids in what are known as book deserts, meaning like kids who don't have access to lots of books at home or parents who take them to the library, things like that, every day I replaced the books in the backpack. And I would always have kids read to me even if they were older than really the intended audience, we loved them. They made us laugh and, and sparked conversations and things like that. And I, over and over again, I would have these kids who would say, oh, man, can I keep this book? Just because we, we'd share laughs. We we just, you know, had had a lot of fun with it. And I would always say, well, I, you know, I've got other kids to read it today, but I'll put your name in the front. And so, you know, all summer long, I would track back to whatever kid had ask for it first and give it to them. And even though, especially teachers who teach reading or who 
or a part of growing a reader are very, very aware that children, you, you know the children who have access to books, who practice reading at home, who have an adult in their life that reads with them, just the, the way they pick up reading, their vocabulary, the way they carry themselves, how they interact when you read to them, um, things like that. You know, you know, just when you meet children, I can even now meet a child that I've never met before. And in three or four minutes, I can tell you if somebody talks to them, reads with them, shares books with them. It's, it's just very obvious. Even though I've encountered this for 20 some odd years, just, I guess, being in their houses, their apartments and saying, I'll bring this back to you. Let me get through the day kind of committed me to, I can't change everything, but I can ensure everybody has books if they want them. And so a few months later, our town has a, an event, I guess you'll call it every year. It's called Engage Danville. Um, one church sponsors a website. Uh, anyone in town can put up projects. You know, I need a ramp for my parents' home built, or I want to pick up trash on the Riverwalk. I mean, lots of groups sponsor projects. Um, you can log in and see what other projects are being done. And you say, well, my kids and I would devote a few hours. Let's find something that's kid-friendly or family-friendly or whatever. There are you know, um, rotary groups that pass out water. It's always in the, in the late summer, you know, sometimes groups will sponsor a, a laundromat and they'll go through and fill all the dryers with quarters. And so you don't, you won't know where it's going to be, but that's something they commit to. So it's, it's all about groups helping other groups or, or just building community. So I decided I was going to give away 900 books. I chose three different housing projects. I, shook the trees, asked all my friends with children to see had any really good condition used books. Um, I bought some picture books, things like that. So for three consecutive days, I went to three different areas of the city, uh, laid out 300 books. Kids could take whatever they wanted. I read aloud stories the time I was there. Um, kids would come by and just sit and listen and then take books. And at the end, um, we had this big celebration in the middle of town. We have a big cookout and you know, everybody kind of celebrates, celebrate Danville or engage Danville. So I gave away 900 books and that night, uh, the night of the cookout, I'm laying on my bed and my husband's laying there and I said, well, like anybody could do that. And he's looking at me like, are you kidding? You gave away 900 <laughs> books. Like everybody we know dropped off kid books. And I'm like, yeah, but anybody could do that. And he's like, I don't know about anybody. I couldn't do that. And I was like, well, sure you could. But if you ask and he's like, no. And I said, I want something that's going to truly help turn the tide. Our little region of Southern Virginia has an illiteracy rate of like 18.6%, which is like functionally one in five adults don't read above third grade. I mean, if you boil it down, which is a lot, it's a whole lot. So having, having, you know, encountered kids in the school system, just knowing that statistically about our town, things like that, I was like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work really hard as long as I can to ensure everyone has access to books. You don't have to go to the library. We have a great library. We have great librarians who put on great programs, but we have hundreds of people that don't set foot in them. You know, I, I just was committed to doing that. And I said, I'm going to give away a million books. And he just looked at me like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to do that. There's no point in yelling in the bleachers and complaining in the bleachers if you're not going to sweat on the field. That's just, that's my personal philosophy. Just 
you, if you're not going to help the problem, it's just whining and it doesn't accomplish anything. Mm -hmm. So, so I started, you know, I mean, everyone in my whole, (laughs) the whole area of Virginia knows, um, you know, about the book lady and stuff. We'll come home, we'll go to the store, it's two miles away, you know, grocery shop, come back and there's a box of books on our front porch. And so I'll, I'll put them in little libraries. Um, I, I chose a second job in order to just buy books for kids. Um, every month I choose a different elementary school. One is in the County I live in. One is in the city of Danville, which I live a mile and a half from. So I, I don't do one in August School just started last week. So it's kind of too rushed. Um, in September, I will give books, a brand new book to every kid at the school. I began my teaching career at. So there's 451 kids there. So I will work to buy uh, 451 brand new kid books. Uh, then, then the next month I choose a, a school in the city. Um, and all the principals know me. I mean, once you're on the Today Show, everybody knows you. Yeah, anyway. right. Exactly. It's <laughs> That's so all. funny. Exactly. Well, no. I mean, you know, I'm on the local news sometimes. It's other things too, but it's funny because I was checking out at Target about a month ago, and the cashier is swiping everything, including two children's books. I was going to a baby shower. Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh, you're going to keep some little kid reading. And she looked and she goes, you're the book lady, aren't mm-hmm. you? And I was like, yes, ma'am, I am. And she goes, oh, we saw your stuff and we thank you. And I was like, oh, you're welcome. So anyway, back to schools. Um, so I, I go back and forth between the county and the city. And I rotate other than the school I began my teaching career at and the school I ended my teaching career in Virginia at. I alternate Oh, last year I did these schools, so I'll do different schools. And I do. I work to give every kid a book. What I do is about three weeks to a month ahead of giveaway day, uh, the principal will email me how many kids per grade and how many of them are boys. And so I know how many first graders there are and how many of those children are boys, second grade, third grade, whatever. Um, And you say, well, why boys? Well, there's lots of books a boy will laugh out loud if I read it to him. But he's not going to pick up a Ramona the Pest book. He's not going to put because his his boy his guy friends they're going to laugh at him, you know. So if they perceive it as a girl book, it's got any microscopic dot of pink on it. It says the word diary on it. It's got a girl on the front. They're not going to touch it. So I'm not going to just lay out books. I want to lay out books kids are going to choose. Kids mm-hmm. are going to be drawn to. So that's why I ask every principal how many students per grade and how many of them are boys so that the books I bring, everyone will want. So I I try to ensure not just giving, but giving that'll be enjoyed. So I do that. I I do a lot of other things to give away books, but there you go. That's sort of where it. it started. That's where it started. My goodness. So a million books. Where are we at right now at the time of the recording, which is, by the way, uh, late August. I do want to say that because I will get an update before we run the show and just see where Jennifer's at because she moves pretty quick. So tell me where you're at right now. So I have given away 133,369 books. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of books. And most of them come through my living room. Wow. So, I oh live in a gosh. tiny little house. I promise you, I don't live in a big house. So okay, everyone's so, like, how do, you, how do you give away so yeah. fast? I'm like, I, I want to sleep on my bed and there's no one else to put them. <laughs> I don't know, you know? Okay. Yeah, so you know. we're going to talk a little bit about the logistics of mm-hmm. okay. um, doing this because you know, I have been part of different kinds of drives in my community before and it was a lot to like 
take in in my home, in my space to try to organize and facilitate and get everyone's stuff out to them. So we know that, you know, you mentioned you were on the Today Show. Mm-hmm. How much of this is community driven? And also, when are you sleeping? Because I'm thinking about all this time that you're doing not only one job, but two jobs so that you can afford these books for the kids. But, you know, just the logistics of all of this is a lot. I'm, I'm trying to, to play around in your headspace for a little bit. So uh, logistically, like I said, when people drop off books, you know, my kids have outgrown these or, you know, I buy a paperback every time I go to Target or whatever, those kinds of books. I try to turn around pretty quickly. We have 28 little free libraries in my city. We have 29 in the county I live in. So I have plenty of spaces to put them as far as used books. School books, luckily, like Scholastic has a dollar book every week. So I'll buy a dozen no matter what giveaway is coming up because it's it's a cost-effective way to increase the number of books I have. So I'll, I keep those. Typically, um, I have two wire bookshelves, you know, the kind you buy loads with boxes. Um, I will... I have one where I kind of accumulate books and then I'm always have a, here's a kindergarten box. Here's a first grade box, that kind of thing. So that whatever book giveaway is next. Um, And then I have a portion of that. I have a good three or four shelves on one of those dedicated to second chance, second chance book book. So, but yeah, I'm always hunting donations or hunting ways to um, acquire good quality used children's books, you know? Um, Yeah. I can only attest to like, I used to be a reader in my community. So they had a mentor program for kids and I followed a couple of kids like from their kindergarten year all the way up until when they were exiting out of the elementary school. So at our school, they would flag a couple of kids that needed a little bit of extra attention. Honestly, it wasn't just about reading. We we know that it's never yeah. just about reading. It's, it's about, you know, yeah. being that steady person in their lives. And, you know, there's a lot of things when we talk about, you know, helping kids in need. There were a lot of hurdles. It, it wasn't just the the books, but like, one of my kids really needed glasses and he wasn't seeing well. And that also can be a big contributing factor that a lot of people overlook or it doesn't get addressed because of the financial means that it requires. I mean, anybody who's ever gotten glasses knows how expensive it can be and just to have those kinds of appointments and things like that. So it's always such a eye-opening thing getting to do those kinds of things. But one of the activities we would do with our kids is that we were allowed as mentors only like once because we weren't supposed to be bringing a lot of stuff into school, but we were allowed to go with them to the Scholastic Book Fair and pick out one book when the book fair came. And that was honestly one of the most joyful times. I mean, there were a lot of really fun trinkets at the front. We had to try to not get distracted. I'm going to say there's a lot of fun stuff at the book fair, (laughs) but but it was really impactful just to see the way that they would light up about this one single book. And it always like anytime I drove home, I was like, I always think about those moments. I know Scholastic Book Fair was important to me when I was a kid, but it's totally different when that is like the only new book they're going to get. And that's the that's the one thing. And that's why, although most principals know me from either teaching or just community, other other community work, Scholastic Book Fair is true magic to most most kids, even now, but 
ask any middle-aged adult, and they have fond memories of book fair. Most of them do, mm-hmm. of book fair and things like that. But I also know, having been a teacher for 30 years, you will take your class at your designated time, and there will always be three or four kids who kind of meander around, they'll look at everything, but you know they don't have an envelope of money, or now it's an electronic wallet. They don't have any money to buy it. And they'll they'll sidle up to their buddies, they'll watch what they get. Younger kids are great about, well, and they'll buy, I'll buy Amy an eraser too, because, you know, I'm as far as that goes. They're very great about that. But the magic of holding a new book that you've chosen, and that's why I, I lay out, there's 79 third graders. I'm going to lay out 79, well, I'm going to lay out 80 brand new books, more than enough for every boy to pick one up. But it's the magic of, I'm looking at all these choices and I get to choose one I want to read. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I love this series. I got it at the school library or this looks enticing or whatever. I try to give that experience whether you can afford to go to book fair or not. And yeah. that's that's my ultimate goal for them is to everybody gets to pick something brand new that they want to read. So the Today Show, tell us about that experience because we always want an insider look. Tell me what happened well, on the Today well, Show with uh, your, so with that your was, book lady. That was quite fascinating in all of my book giving. And these always come about such crazy ways. One of the teacher moms or the mom teachers at the school um, I was at um, posted a picture of her son choosing a book when the book lady came. And she put it on Instagram, like Tank Goodness and some of those like feel good websites, you know, that that their whole job is to watch for like feel good stories. So the, so he he reposted the story about the book lady trying to give away a million books because, I mean, she she put some little tiny blurb about that in there. And in doing that, a reporter from The Washington Post reached out to me and said, so you're really trying to give away a million books. And I said, yes, I am. And so he interviewed me and did a story. The story was published like two days later, Jenna Bush Hager's administrative assistant reached out to me and she said, I read your story. Jenna's on vacation, but I said, we need to talk to this lady. And she's like, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So, you know, we we went back and forth. She was going to come to to Danville. She was going to come watch a book giveaway, follow me to jail, watch book club. We kept going back and forth on dates she could come. We couldn't do that. We could, you know, it was crazy. Long story short, we settled on a date. I flew to New York, did an interview. And this was crazy because my very first year of teaching, very, very first, um, I had my third graders write to her grandfather as he was president. And I folded them all up and put them in an envelope and put them in the school mailbox. And as I'm walking back to the building, I'm thinking, well, if he ever writes back, I don't know what anyone said. So I took them back out of the mailbox, made a Xerox copy of each letter, put them back in the envelope and mailed it off. I kept those copies somehow in the back of my filing cabinet at home in January of 2020. No, I'm sorry, 2022. I, I stumble upon this file folder of letters and I'm like, okay, here it is like 30 years later. You know, it's 31 years later. I'm thinking, why do I even still have these? And I get ready to get, throw them away. And I'm thinking, well, enough of these kids still live in this area. If I ever run across them, I'm just, I, I refresh my memory on everyone who'd written a letter. I'll just hang on to it. So I put them back in my file cabinet and two and a half months later, her, you know, Jenna's assistant reaches out to me and I'm thinking, 
So we did not tell her, but I brought all those copies of my kids' letters. And it's hilarious what seven and eight-year-olds are thinking about when writing to the president. We saw a picture of the White House. Do you have a cleaning lady? Like, and <laughs> he was getting ready to leave office. Um, and I told them that, you know, we learned a little bit about what the president does and this is where he lives and things like that. I mean, because most of them were seven or eight years old. So it's so funny because then we write to him and they're like, oh, I had to move once. It was very sad. Are you sad? And I mean, it was like, mm. it was sweet little, just the innocence of children. And so they, they wrote to him. So I, so I present her with these letters and she doesn't know they're coming. And it was just really neat. It was really neat because of course she was itty bitty at the time. but it was fun and it was just it was so crazy that I didn't even know they were there and then two months later I'm like handing them to his granddaughter so that was fun that's did they give you any books from the today show they did they did so they gave me 12 well random house donated 1200 to actually me and it only took me a week and a half to get rid of all those oh my gosh Uh, that's what I'm saying another 8800 Random House donated to littlefreelibrary.org. And when you order, you log in and order a Little Free Library, they sent you a box of books to put in your library when you ordered one until those Mm -hmm. were gone, which was great. I mean, that was wonderful. Jenna also bought me a Little Free Library with my name on it. And Mm -hmm. our city is building what's called a Habitat Village. So Habitat for Humanity inherited or was donated Uh, a number of acres and there's four streets there's 30 some houses and there's a park in the middle so that will go in the middle of the park which is not three miles from my house you know so kids will be able to get books there so that's what I did with the little free library she gave me well I love that yeah well this is only part of the work that you do and today we're going to talk about the other thing that you do because I don't know how you're doing all this, Jennifer. I'm going to tell you, like, I'm, I'm barely functioning right now and I do very little. But you also run a prison book club for inmates called the Second Chance Book Club. So tell me how this got started and how you are divvying up your time between giving books to children, tutoring, also being a teacher and running this book club for inmates. Sure. Well, Second Chance Book Club was born a little over three years ago. I was tutoring, teaching all the things at the time, but I also had been volunteering at our local jail. Volunteers in the state of Virginia. Women can only volunteer with women. Men can only volunteer with men, um, things like that. And a number of years ago, I've been friends with the chaplain of our jail system in this region for 30 or more years. A number of years ago, I told him when I was less busy, I was going to volunteer for him. So he gave me a business card and I thumbtacked it above my computer and I looked at it all the time. And so in 2016, I reached out to him and said, hey, I think I'm going to, I'm going to try to volunteer for you every week if I can. So he said, sure. So I went to volunteer training And he kind of approached me and he said, we used to have a creative writing group from one of the university students who was an English major, but then she graduated and got married and moved away. Would you be interested in that? And I'm thinking, uh, well, we don't do a lot of creative writing in second grade and first grade, but okay, sure, sure. So I started not really knowing what we would do every week. And I, and I love it. I, I wouldn't want to live there. I don't, I don't want to be an inmate, but I enjoy the time with the women a lot. We, you know, I mean, 
they're just a regular old group. So we, you know, we did, we do creative writing. We do, we learn all kinds of trivia. I mean, we learn presidents in order, states and capitals, and all kinds of crazy things. We, we play a lot of, you know, word games and other things like that. In the process, um, the way Second Chance actually started is I was participating in a book club myself. I, I go on Wednesday mornings to the jail. So I was, I, I went on Wednesday morning, volunteered at the jail. Um, that evening, I was driving to book club myself, and all of a sudden, while I'm, I'm sitting at a stoplight in town, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, why isn't there a book club there? Like, I mean, that's a captive audience. They have nothing to do most of the time. You know, I mean, they don't get to pick what's on TV or, or if the TV's even on. They don't, I mean, there's so much unstructured do-nothing time. So I uh, went on to book club. I, I kind of marinated it in my brain for a few weeks. I reached out to the chaplain and to the sheriff and I said, hey, I've got this idea. They said, oh, okay, but you know, there's no like budget for book club. So that's all on you. And I was like, it's okay. So I started talking to, you know, just civic groups. I mean, talking to the Rotary Club and talking to the Business Women's Association, talking to all kinds of groups and kind of just proposing this idea. You know, I'm going to need some help. I need, you know, 30 copies of the same book. Anybody interested in helping me? And it's it's kind of funny. So so I'm I set this launch date of January uh, 2021. Yes. No, 2020 is when we, everything shut down. Right. So 20, mm-hmm. 2020. January. So I'll do it the first Wednesday. So, you know, all fall, I'm talking to groups, I'm reaching out, I'm just talking up the whole idea. I have a book set. I I had two book sets donated, so I'm ready to go. It's going to be a regular book club. The first Wednesday of every month, we'll get a new book. The second Wednesday of every month, we'll talk about it, and then I'll fill the other two Wednesdays with the regular stuff we've been doing. We get closer and closer to Christmas, and I've got book sets. And I so it starts to dawn on me, you know, at this point, I've been here like six different Christmases. So I go and I make an appointment with the sheriff and I sit down and I say, you know, I've done this a number of years now. It's really hard to be in jail at Christmas. Everybody else is happy. You're going to, it's family oriented. It's, you know, all the happy things and they're not with their kids. They're not going to be with their kids. They're, I mean, there's just so many layers of Christmas is not really all that happy mm-hmm. when you're in jail. So he said, Hey, as long as you follow those little guidelines they've, the state's given us, you can start it whenever you want. So I say, well, we're just going to start the first Wednesday of December. So I kind of talk it up for a couple of weeks, telling them, hey, we're going to do this new thing. So I have 24 women come to the table uh, the very first week. And we, you know, we read Tuck Everlasting, a great little classic middle grade book. If you look at our, we've read these lists, there's a number of middle grade on there. Um, the correlation between low literacy and incarceration is very strong. They teach that to you when you become a teacher, but it, it really is, you know, the proficiency of readers. It's funny. We were talking about, you were talking about glasses. Uh, my husband and I visited Alcatraz uh, early in the sp- uh, last spring. Uh, he had to go for business. I tagged along as a couple of days to get away. We went to Alcatraz and inside there uh, of the many facts that are posted, one of them talks about the low literacy rate in prison in the prison system and that like up to 85% of all inmates had undiagnosed vision issues as children which yeah. led to them not to succeed which led to them doing many other things which eventually ends them up in the prison system 
Mm. So when you were talking about glasses and things like that, it's one way that if a group truly wanted to help their community, ask who doesn't have a coat. Ask who really needs just simple things like, can we fund a pair of glasses for a low-income family? Like those things are the way we actually change our our communities. Not not huge, big ways, just those individual ways. So anyway, back to the story. So we we did. It was a great. I mean, I, I passed out Talk Everlasting. Ironically, um, one of the biggest supporters is English departments in middle and high schools because mm. while those are not their students. Those are the moms, the sisters, the grandmas, the aunts of their students. And if you really want to help kids who have tons of other life trauma, it's also to surround their families with ways to help them as a whole. They donated uh, Tuck Everlasting. So I passed them out. I'm thinking, okay, well, here we go. Let's see what happens. Uh, you know, we had all these people read it. There were more than 24 who showed up back at the picnic table to discuss the book the next week. It was great. So I'm waiting, you know, January, we get a book. February, we get a book. March, I take a book. And then like the next week, everything closes. And I know it's not going to be two weeks before I go back in. I know that. And I'm heartbroken because it took a year for me to get all the right permissions, drum up some support make sure I, I, I don't want to do this three times and then be like, it was a great idea, but I just don't have books. I don't have them. So I, I took plenty of time to make sure that all my homework was done and, you know, all those things. So we did it four times and I'm thinking, what am I going to do now? Well, I did have two book sets still where groups had said, yes, we'll help you. You give us a title. We'll buy the books. No problem. So I kind of reached out and said, well, I have two more book sets in the, in the coming weeks. Can we send those in, even though I can't go? And the sheriff said, bring them to my doorstep. Uh, we will get them to them. He was very, very generous. He paid for a, a video visit, but we had to bypass the system. So I call Florida, the company that runs the video visitation. He would, he would text me a name that morning of a current inmate in the book club. I would bypass the system call directly to Florida where they would take the timer so that the phone doesn't cut off at eight minutes or nine minutes or whatever. So they would line up and they'd be like, Miss Jennifer, I read it. And I'd be, so I'd talk to them for, you know, three or four minutes. I mean, literally I've got a, like a timer in front of me going, okay, well, and, and like, you know, they'd be sure we'll see you soon, you know? And, and it was that connection. I mean, we were all, you know, stuck at home. We were all not doing the things we wanted to do. And it was really hard for them too, because they're, the little contact they have even was dry, was dried up. You know, there was no visiting. There was no any of that. So they would line up, literally. I read it, you know, and I'd say, well, which character do you think you really are? You know, or, I mean, it was crazy. And all of this um, kind of getting the word out and, and talking to people. And, I mean, I, I hadn't been on anything famous at that point. But I, I knew enough people that, as crazy as it sounds, the world just showed up for our little book club. I had a number of organizations here in my town and my, my little community say, Hey, we heard what you were doing. Like, is there a way we can help? And here I am at my house going, well, I really thought this would be a great idea. And, and so books came and we went from reading one book a month 
to reading one book a week. We we typically read fifty a we read fifty a year. We are on. We just last Wednesday we got our hundred and seventh novel in less than three years. So it's been incredible. It's been incredible. My sister's book club, the one just had a birthday. They live in at the opposite end of Virginia, but her book club has um, adopted my little book club and, mm. you know, they've donated, I think four different book sets. Um, I typically need a minimum of 35 copies now and they'll, they'll say, you know, pick a title and we'll all buy five or, you know, whatever. So it's been, it's been really rewarding. I wish everyone could experience what I experience. Uh, the transformation in them, they're, they're just the way they carry themselves. They have something else to talk about. They have something else to share. Um, we do read a lot of middle grade, not not exclusively. We read everything that's on all the trendy books and lots of other things. Um, but it's a neat way to connect with their kids and grandkids when I have new readers and, I, and they'll be like, well, I don't know. Like, isn't that like, you know, and I'll be like, well, you know, you could be the mom or the grandma or the aunt that says, Hey, I read that to a kid and, and talk to him. And they're like, oh, yeah. And then discover it's a great story, too. You know, we've read Colleen Hoover and we've read A Wrinkle in Time. And we've read all the Harry Potter books. And, you know, I mean, just so many other great stories to occupy your mind. Like I said, the way they carry themselves, their vocabulary. I know it's affecting also their potential. I mean, not every charge means you can't get a job. But if you can talk well um, speak well, carry yourself better. All those things are important. They're all important. Yeah. 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 Well, listeners, I just want to, you know, do a call to action because if you look in our show notes right now, you can actually see a wish list. We had Jennifer put together a list just for convenience sake. It is set up on Amazon because we could do a little gift registry and get them right out to her instead of me middle managing things, which I'm not very good at. So we're just going to get them right over to her. So if you click that link in the show notes to her wish list, you can donate. And like she said, She needs 35 copies. They do need to be paperback books. We're going to talk a little bit about what the rules are regarding that and how that all plays out. But I just want to make sure if you are just tuning in right now that you know that that is sitting there in your show notes right now so you can help. It's a wonderful thing to do for the holidays. So I really want you to do that if you can. Jennifer, what would people be surprised about regarding the rules? This is something that we actually talked a little bit about in the Celebrity Book Club. We were talking about uh, No Name has a book club that we were really, really inspired by the work that she does for the incarcerated with her book club. And one of the things that I didn't really think about is all the hurdles to get books into a prison system. So can you tell us a little bit about what your experience has been about either selection, about the book choices that you're allowed to bring in, as well as like the format when we're talking about it needing to be paperback book? Sure. Um, I am very fortunate in that I am not in a state prison. I am in the jail system. So we're a little bit less lax, although I'm still very mindful. Although we've we've read quite a variety of books, but I guess because most of, I mean, all of them I'm going to carry in. So I'm not going to carry in that's like how to be a serial killer. I mean, even if it's, it's, you know, a crazy, funny spoof on that, Uh, as far as that goes, which most of my people are not that, you know. I don't, I don't actually know what they're there for. I, that, let me make that perfectly clear. I'm a volunteer. 
I don't know why they're there. I don't ask why they're there. And mm-hmm. I don't really care. My, my role is to, you know, lighten their load, to give them something to do, to learn, to have fun, to joke and, and whatever in the hour I'm there. And that's it. I, I really, I'm not interested in why they're there. So yes, there are hurdles. You, um, like everyone has to get the same thing. You couldn't, you couldn't say, well, actually, Hey, Jennifer, I'm emailing you because my sister happens to be like in jail in your town. Could you give her this book that I sent? Well, no, I can't. You know, I have to carry in 35 copies of the same thing and go, if you'd like one, here you go. That's the extent of what I can do. So I, so there's never any suspicion that I'm passing you anything. There's never any, any of that. I would never do anything to jeopardize my ability to go. So I'm not going to bring hardback books or which, you know, it's funny. I've never seen there ever be an issue, but I know that's a safety thing that all, at least through our state and I'm sure other states too, they don't have hardback books because you could, you could whack someone in the head with them or whatever. Everything has to be the same. Um, They do have to be paperback. Um, I'm fortunate in that, while at any point in time, you know, the sheriff or any one of his staff could say, well, what are you reading? Like, you know, seeing that. But I, I, like I said, I don't want to do anything to ever jeopardize that. So I'm not going to bring anything that's super questionable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've read a lot of, you know, best-selling things that everybody else would read, um, which is also a huge boost to their ego. I mean, I'm not bringing in... Like, well, these, you know, these were, you know, they're missing the covers and stuff, but I found them, you know, because the library was discarding them because they're in terrible shape. I mean, you know, they come new or in very, very close to new condition. I've had a few that were purchased, like, you know, of the like new kind of uh, whatever and, and things like that. But that does a great deal for their ego. You know, when I can pass out books and say someone who doesn't know you believes in you enough to buy you a brand new book. And that's a really big gift. You know, I mean, it's $11 out of my pocket, but it's the whole world to someone who feels really abandoned by society. I mean, in, in many respects, you know, they don't all have family who comes or sends them, you know, canteen money and all that. So, you know, for every week, you can have something that's fun and entertaining and gives us a lot of things to talk about and things like that. It's a, it's a really... So what happens to the book after you read it? Does it go into a library or do they get to keep it in their own like cell? What happens with that? So they are allowed to keep them. Um, There is a limit on like how many books each person can have because it's a very limited space, obviously, but they are, they are not required to return them. It's very kind of heartwarming. So one area I'm in is called dorm one and it's like you would think, I mean, it's kind of a large room got bunk beds, some, you know, tables, things like that. We used to have an observation window, so nobody uses it anymore, but it has a book, a ledge. So they'll line up books and be like, you know, I'm new here. Oh, this one's really good. Like if you want something to read, this one is really good. They're also great about partnering. I've had people kind of be hesitant to take a book and somebody will be like, Hey, I'll read it with you. Like if you're not a good reader, that's no big deal. Like we can read it together. There are so many lessons I wish like the rest of us would learn, you know, coming beside somebody and just sort of, you know, walking them through something that's intimidating to them, but not intimidating to you. I mean, they're very good about that. And I know that's partly survival. You're in a a small space. 
with the same people for two years. You, you got to survive. But I mean, they, they are very good about sharing things like that or walking through. Do you so. read the book before you bring it to the prison then? Uh, so I have read all 107. Wow. Um, okay. I have. I enjoy reading. Um, I I can't, I don't really feel, I, I could, I think, like having read it. And sure, I can. I've taught third for very three years. That's half an acting job. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, your teacher, your child's teacher is very capable. But I could, but I, I want to be able to truly engage with them and talk to them about it. What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? Uh, they have a little, I've tracked from the beginning. This is the benefits of being a teacher. Data drives everything, everything. I've tracked since the beginning. I know how many readers we've had, which books they have read, or at least that they've said they've read, how many pages we've read. Uh, we've, we're at almost 1.9 million pages read. For a group that all all professors, ah, I'm not really into reading so much. Yeah. Now we've read 1.9 million pages. You know, part of it's bringing engaging books. Part of it's someone who actually comes back and says, so what did you like, Amy, about, you know, whatever, whatever. I have a, a actual story I would love to share about. Yes. Um, about us reading Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, the hilarious thing is, you know, I mean, culturally, 26 years in, we're still all things Harry Potter. Two years ago, we had started book club. It was, it was we were nearing our first birthday. I was traveling from Thanksgiving dinner with my family back to the town that I live in. So I've got four and a half hours in the car. Typically, I am listening to a book. Uh, my husband listened to and I listen to a lot of audiobooks when we travel or, or just whatever. That's the only way when I have two jobs. Last year, I had 18 tutor kids, uh, all this stuff, giving away books, all the things. That's the only way I can stay ahead is to also listen to some of them. So I am traveling. My husband was not able to go to Thanksgiving dinner with our family due to a work obligation. I am traveling four and a half hours from Fairfax back to Danville. At first, I just turn on the radio. I'm, I, I just, you know, whatever. And there's a subtle reference to Harry Potter. Well, I'll, I'll just tell you, he was calling another, the other DJ a Gryffindor. And I thought to myself, well, if you hadn't read it, you would have no idea. That, that reference would go completely over your head. In the course of that four and a half hours, I listened to three different radio stations because, you know, get out of range and pick up another one. There were four references to Harry Potter without saying, as you know, in Harry Potter, they say, I mean, mm-hmm. they don't say Harry Potter per se, but there are four different references in a four and a half time, four and a half hour time span. And I say to myself, how many conversations am I not a part of because I have no reference? Now, I was raised you know, by educated parents. I can stand with my husband at a work function that he's at. And I can stand politely and when I have something to say, you know, join the conversation. But a lot of times, because that's not my field of study, I just listen, you know, or or make small pleasantries. But I think to myself, 25 years later, because, you know, this is what we were, I'm sure that was part of the drive on all the references, but I still hear them all the time. How many conversations am I not a part of because I don't feel I know anything about it. Mm. And folks who've been incarcerated are already living sort of in a, there are a lot of spaces they don't, a lot of conversations they don't enter, spaces they don't go because they don't feel that they can. They don't, they don't have any way to contribute or be part of. So we're already dealing with that sort of barrier. In, in all that thinking, I'm thinking to myself, 
wonder if we should read Harry Potter. I mean, not not just to join those conversations, but I'm thinking the references are everywhere. But -hmm. if you've never read it, you may or may not even know what that means. So I found a donor for book one and I took it. And oddly enough, only about half as many copies were taken. Uh, a lot of people, oh, I've seen that movie. I, I'm good. I'm good. I said, okay, well, you know, we talk about this all the time. If every detail in a book was in a movie, it'd be so long you wouldn't watch it. But okay, you don't have to take it. It's fine. <laughs> so uh, so the next week I bring a totally different kind of book. But I left all those those book ones in the bottom of the milk crate that I carry. So all these people are like, you know, um, well, Jennifer read it and she said it was really good. Do you still have a copy of that? Like, could I have a copy of that? And oddly enough, so we read the whole thing. They were just captivated by it. Even even the ones who'd said, oh, I've seen the movies. There's something very different about reading the book than there is watching the movie. So they, they read it, loved it. I said, you know, a lot of you, I said, raise your hand if you have a kid between third grade and 10th grade in your life. Well, you know, 99% of them have some kid. My neighbor, my granddaughter, my, you know, my nephew, my whatever. I said, well, you know, you could always read these in this chat with them about them because they're going to read them. So, you know, it was just neat to realize that that's another thing. That's another layer to what books in to incarcerated people do mm-hmm. is when they're not incarcerated, there are conversations they can enter because they know a little bit about what you're talking about yeah. as, as the general population. I think that's such a great point. You know, even as you know, I feel like I'm a very socially awkward person. I use books as my crutch to have conversations with people. And, you know, a lot of times that is like the very first thing I'm like, are you a reader? You know, it is something that you can start a conversation around or you find out what their favorite books are. And it kind of gives you a little bit of insight into who they are too. I mean, that is a great thing, especially with job interviews or things that they may have coming up that they have something to talk about that is different than just the setting that they have been, you know, dealing with every single day. There is so much more to life beyond just the settings that we sit in, but also like the places that we get to be transported in our mind. Uh, The books are the perfect avenue for that. I love hearing that. Absolutely. The other thing when I was talking about, you know, I just go in and I give away if you want one, I'll share this little encounter that we had. So, so a, a new inmate, kind of wandered over to the picnic table, kind of watching what we were doing when I first got there. And I'm going, hey, guys, how are everybody doing? You know, I have a new book today. So I'm, I'm passing out books and she's kind of just observing. And so I, I, ha- I reach my hand out and I've got a book and I say, would you like one? And she kind of looks at me and she's like, to, do you want me to give it back next week? And I'm like, if you want to, but you don't have to. You don't have to read it, but if you'd like to read it, you're welcome to. And she looked at it and she took it. And she kind of caressed the front of it and she teared up and then I teared up and she was, she was like, this belongs to me, like to me. And I was like, yeah, it's yours. You can keep it forever if you want. And she's like, I haven't had anything belongs to me in a long time. You know I mean? Like most people, by the time they get to jail, that's not the first time things are taken away from them. A lot of negative behaviors are because of whatever's been taken away, whether it's foster care, whether it's, I mean, there's so many layers to it that can apply that to just freely give you something that if you would like it, you are welcome to it. I I don't, I don't place any requirements on it. I don't need you to give it back. 
I don't need, I'm not going to test you on it. We're going to talk about it. And if you want to be part of that, I would love it, but I'm not going to require anything of you is, is a real gift that goes so much deeper than whether you read the book or not. There's just a lot of, um, a lot of that, that I think they, they feel some of the things we all want you know, in a place that you don't always feel that. Yeah. And, and it also is something that we all should think about, like when we give or gift to different charities or things that we're doing in our everyday encounters, can we live in a space where there are no strings attached and we're just so happy to give without thinking about like, what are they doing with it? Are they, you know, Mm -hmm. achieving a a certain criterion to, to match that? And uh, I, I love hearing that. I also kind of like your reverse psychology. Like, don't read it. I don't care. Like, don't okay. read it. <laughs> yeah. Which always suggests them to be like, wait. I mean, in some ways, it's very much like teaching kindergarten. That's okay. You don't have to. I don't care. And then yeah. they're like, oh, now I got to. It works. <laughs> it works. It works. I can't help it. It just does. Well, Jennifer, we're going to talk about three of your books that you think would be great for leading or that you have led with. And I want to start out with a book called If the Creek Don't Rise by Leah Weiss, which was a 2017 backlist book. It was published by Sourcebooks. I understand that you have a special connection with this author, and I want to hear a little bit more about why this book was such a great one to discuss. So yes, Leah is a personal friend of mine. She came to Danville for book signings. She doesn't live but about an hour away. She's delightful. She's a delightful person to know on so many levels, having nothing to do with even books. So I've really enjoyed having a friendship with her as far as that goes. If the Creek Don't Rise is set, you know, in, in North Carolina and as a, as a girl who was born in the heart of Appalachia, and I was, I was not raised in poverty, but I saw that world on a daily basis and things like that. So, so if you say to me, hey, it's, it's an Appalachian story with a tinge of poverty and struggle and whatever, I'm going to read it every time. I mean, that's my, that's my catnip. And I love them all. I mean, for different reasons. I, I just love those types of stories. I love lots of other stories too, but it has a special connection kind of to my soul. So we had 35 copies donated. I took it in and it is still often requested. Um, the women have, a, have the opportunity once every six weeks to see the whole list of things we've read. If they were not there when we read it, I'm very fortunate. I have some friends who like to look for backlist books that are in great shape you know, thrift stores and used bookstores and things like that. I will bring copies that may not be on that. Well, you know, she's already left and left these books kind of deal. Um, So they have access to some of the books that they were not there for if they want to. It is still very requested. Uh, A great, great story that I really enjoyed. Um, I really enjoyed the, just the struggles and the way, you know, the main characters cope. And they do too. I think they see a lot of themselves, even though it's in a different place and a slightly different time. I think that inner struggle of, I thought, you know, I needed this and I didn't, it wasn't a good situation, but I'm surviving. Yeah. This book is about a a little girl, basically. Mm -hmm. Her name is Sadie Blue. Mm -hmm. She had only been a wife for about 15 days, they say, a span that swiftly revealed the regret of a union 
with a man named Roy, but even more so because there was a baby on the way. And in the midst of this remote area, Sadie is yearning to etch her own legacy upon the world. But escaping from that town is a rare luxury. And she says that, you know, optimism often gets crushed under the weight of that reality. So basically, a stranger enters into this area and disrupts the balance, offering her an unforeseen chance at survival, um, provided that she can, you know, see its potential for what it is. I want to say, too, that I found about Leah, because I love to talk about debut novels, that she actually published this book at 70. So I am so inspired just by that alone and that this novel was actually developed from her first national winning short story. So according to her bio at the time that it was last, you know, recorded, it had sold over 120,000 copies. She is working on her third novel and we were talking about that before we recorded. Uh, She had a second novel called All the Little Hopes. And then I noticed on Goodreads that readers were asking, did she have a sequel planned? Because people loved this first book that you're talking about so much that they really, really wanted her to have a sequel. And she had replied that she had no plans to do a sequel, but she did say that the third book is going to work on reuniting some of her favorite characters from her first two books and provide some answers for readers. There will be characters in If the Creep Don't Rise as well as um, All the Little Hopes, who will cross paths in the third novel, and they will help each other out, I guess. I guess. Oh, yeah, it's I know. kind of exciting. So you're getting kind an inside scoop. Yeah. I love hearing about this one. It's yeah. been on my list. I actually have this on my Kindle, and I have not read it. So this is going to to motivate me. I want to talk about your next book, which is also, it's a backlist book. This one was published in 2014 by Seventh Street Books. The book is The Life We Bury by Alan Eskins. So tell me a little bit about why this book is such a great one for your book club. If you've never read this book, it is a true gem as well. So the premise is very different. A college student has this assignment to interview an older person as any college student might, he puts the, the uh, assignment off. Last minute, he's hunting around for an older person to do that with. Uh, he goes to a local like nursing home. They're kind of him and hall, but they let him interview this guy that was on death row. But he's about to die of cancer, so they moved him to this care facility. And so he starts interviewing this guy for this college assignment and thinking, this doesn't really add up. So he goes back. The girl across the hall, the two of them decide they're going to clear this guy's name. That surely this isn't all true. So they start, you know, looking for news stories, old microfiche newspaper stories, all this stuff. So they're trying to clear his name before he actually dies of cancer. And it's just a, it's a captivating story. It keeps you guessing and wondering. But it's funny because I loved it. Uh, It was recommended by some friends. Uh, I loved it. And I thought, oh, they need to read this. And they did. And that is probably maybe the most requested when you can request a quote backlist from Second Chance. Uh, And I think they enjoy that aspect of, hey, this guy has one last chance. You know, he can't redeem himself, but these two young college kids are going to do it for him and that kind of thing. I just loved it. I loved it. They loved it. I loved it. I've, I've recommended it hundreds of times. I've never met anybody who didn't love it. 
this is great. So. Yeah. You know, I actually haven't read it. I, I recognize the cover. So this is going to, you know, help me uh, add that into my stack. I'll probably read it before this airs. But I wanted to say that I think this is the first in a series of five, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, mm-hmm. because he has gone on to like create more stories with these characters. Mm-hmm. The reason why I know this author is that we actually picked another one of his books for our book club. We had picked it in 2020 and he wrote a book called Nothing More Dangerous. And I think that that might be his only standalone. I could be wrong, but I'm almost positive that it was. And it ended up being a really great discussion. It's a coming of age story independent of what we're talking about today. So if you're interested in something that you can read as a standalone with your book club, that also is really excellent too. But I did look up and see about Alan and apparently, you know, he had been trying to balance both his criminal law, like uh, he was practicing criminal law for 25 years and never expected like to have this kind of success. But he ended up getting to go full time with his writing, which is every author's dream. Mm -hmm. And when he wrote those books, he said that he did, um, you know, he just never had expected for his career to go in this direction and everyone loves it. And I almost want to say this one was nominated for the Edgar Award as well. Um, so it, it is one of those that I, I am immediately familiar with and and know that this is part of a series. And I am a notorious for never starting series books because I'm never going to finish them. Awesome. But you may have inspired me to well, pick this one up. Even if you don't read any others, I mean, I know you read the one for your book club, but even if you don't read any more in the series, it's a great just story and you're not left going well well, what else you know what else it's great I mean it's great it is he's the master of the easter egg too he will other characters like characters in in like the life we buried will show up in other books not as the main character or even part of the story you just you you cross paths with them it's kind of fun yeah that that is so great well this last one is really backless you 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 went into the depths the depths of the basement to bring this one I I am so excited to hear more about Murphy's Boy by Tori Hayden so -hmm. why did you want to bring this book today so I have a master's in special education but I knew I wanted to be a special education teacher when I was set my sister was born my sister is fine she's also the teacher as well but no my sister is fine but that's when my eyes were kind of open to the idea that not every kid could run and play the same, not every kid could do it, the same kind of thing. And I knew I'm, I'm a long, I mean, a long line of teachers. My grandmother was one of 11 children and mine were teachers. She only had my mother who was a teacher. She had my, my mother had three children, two of us are teachers. It's, it's in our blood. I read, I first encountered this book when I was like 13 and I just loved it. The, the actual grit of, of being able to truly develop a strong relationship with someone else who actually helps them overcome lots of things, lots of challenges and things like that. And and I guess the intimacy that sometimes comes with teaching, you have a different class every year, but there are always some kids you're going to get to know better. You're going to know more of their the rest of their life, the rest the outside of school life. You know, Tori's written a lot of other books as a as a teacher. I think this is my favorite not because it was the first one I read but because of the inability to truly let go of one of your kids once they weren't in your class, but knowing that there's, there's so much to a person and that you can just be tied to a person long after they're not directly your responsibility, I guess, or your student. And I just, I do, I just love the, the rawness of it and the, 
the grit behind it and the, the joy that teaching can be, you know, to really just champion a kid long past your classroom to see them actually succeed. And I think that's, yeah. that's the beauty of it. Well, for the record, Tori is the author of three novels and she wrote eight nonfiction books about her experiences working with troubled children and children's books. She documents her work as a child psychologist and special education teacher, and her nonfiction books are based upon her real experiences with teaching and counseling children with special needs. There are some hard subjects that are covered in her books. Yeah. This uh, includes, you know, Tourette syndrome, sexual abuse, fetal alcohol syndrome, and elective mutism, which is now called selective mutism. Uh, but these are all topics that she is really assured in sharing these stories. And on the author's page, uh, she shared uh, a little fun fact that I thought you might uh, get a kick out of. Murphy's Boy was made into a TV movie. It was called Trapped in Silence. Did you ever see this movie, Jennifer? No, I did not. And honestly, I don't want to necessarily. Okay. <laughs> it's probably maybe my favorite book ever. Well, I mean, it's it's right up there. But yeah. I, I don't know that I want to tarnish the world that I live in that's, that's you know. I yeah, know. well, I guess it came out in 1986 and it yeah, starred so yeah, I mean, Marsha Mason and Kiefer Sutherland. And she described it as a relatively good adaptation. And she said, that is, if you can excuse the fact that there is a 20-year age difference between Marsha Mason in the film and the age I wish I was when I worked with Kevin. And I only wish I had the fancy apartment and huge car that she has. So yeah. apparently there were a few details that were a little off with that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I Well, yeah. I No, I haven't. I mean, if she considers it a fairly good adaptation yeah, maybe she said fairly good maybe but i might yeah. i i might i might be convinced to do it but yeah. i don't know there's there's a couple of books i mean most of them you know i'll read before i watch a movie some of them it's like but i hug this book so close that i don't yeah. want you to like destroy destroy this little <laughs> love that i have with your it seems to be reading. one she's fairly proud of so okay well then just you putting go. it out might, in the I universe might, if you're ever like i might maybe. have to i might have to do that you know i mean <laughs> Yeah, uh, look, the movie came out in 86, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I was, I, I graduated from high school in 85. I'm, I'm almost 57. So that'll tell you how old the book is. But hey, I I did two second chance books and I just had to do my, my one, oh, I just need to write myself in the universe. Let me read a little bit about her struggle and, and she and Kevin and I'm okay now. So, yeah, yeah. Well, as a backlist vintage woman myself, I appreciate it. <laughs> there you go. Now there's a whole other universe of books you yeah. can do. Oh, well, readers, I want you to envision what Jennifer was talking about earlier, where she was saying about the joy, the experience, how they like light up when they get these new books. And if you have it um, in your heart to donate to her wish list, I really ask you to do that. Uh, don't donate to my Patreon. Don't do anything else. Only activate uh, any money that you may have in your spare holiday budget to these books so that we can help support Jennifer's work. As we close out, Jennifer, we always like to end things and, and get to express how like proud we are of the people that get to be on our show, but also what you are feeling most proud of right now. I'm going to tell you that I 
I'm so inspired by your work. I can feel just the good energy coming through. I can imagine how impactful you are, not only to these women in the jail, but your community at large is better because of of this initiative that you're doing. And even if you only gave 10 books away, I think we can all learn something about being inspired that you know, books are impactful and the things that you are doing, it's it has a ripple effect. And I'm thinking about all these women that are in this jail book club and how they are, you know, someday going to job interviews and having the same kinds of things, the same joys that we get to have right now is to get to talk about books and how we share that space with other people. It, it really does facilitate great relationships and and what you're doing, it matters. And I'm so, so impressed by what you do. I know that your career is long and you do lots, but is there anything that you're feeling particularly proud of at this point in, in this journey as you're working towards your goals? If I had to say one thing I'm proud of is I live in a relatively small city. Well, I live a mile outside of a very small city. And the way that they have embraced the idea that they don't have to do the messy part. They don't have to volunteer at the jail and they don't have to, you know, go to schools and give away books. But they've embraced the idea that all of us can do something. Uh, I mean, I, I put six different titles on that wish list. And what I can do, though, is a lot of times we, we have a little book club of little old ladies that lives about 10 miles from me. And they reached out to me and said, we are, we're a small book club. You know, there's eight of us. The average age is like 81. It's crazy. And they said, we can't buy a whole book set, but if you can tell us a book, we will buy a few of them. So even if we don't end up with 35 copies of something, I have people who say, I can't do it all, but tell me the piece I can do. And I'm really proud that they've come together around that mission. Because when those of us on the top, and that's what I'll call it, pour into those of us on the bottom, there's not there's less of a top and a bottom. And I'm proud of how they've done that. Um, I'm proud of you too. Like this is crazy. You were, you know, when you reached out to me, I thought, well, I'll listen to four or five episodes, kind of get a feel for it. Oh my gosh, I've listened to almost all of them because I love them. I'm just like, oh my gosh. And then I'm like, oh, and I want to listen to this one. Oh, I want to listen. I like. And then I'm like, oh, why am I being selective about this? I just, I just started backwards and I've listened to like, I don't know, 50 and I just love them. I mean, I love them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these are awesome. Just, you know, I just do. I love them. I do. I've I've loved so much of the, the things you've addressed and the topics you've talked about that are not, here's the latest flashy book. Let's talk about something that's real that most, many of us deal with. And I love that. I absolutely love that. Well, that is very generous. And that is a, a true like impact to, to serve it back to me. I really appreciate that. I, I kid you not. It's been great. Well, I am so happy to share space with you. I really, really hope that people feel inspired to give to this initiative. I know I feel inspired um, not only to give, but what, what else can I do in my community? And I think this is going to be really inspirational to so many listeners today. I hope that you will visit that wish list and you can always uh, check that out on momadvice.com. We will have a permanent spot on the show so that at, if you are listening and it's been a year, you can still probably go back to that wish list and find some books to donate to Jennifer's cause. So don't feel like just 
that it's timely now, but it can be timely at any point that you listen. This is a forever spot for Jennifer's Second Chance Book Club. Thank you so much for sharing space with me. Thank you for for reaching out. I really appreciate it. It has been actual joy to be with you. 